Uh, we began last week with the Trinity. Genesis 1.1 is Father, Spirit, Son. One true God, yet three distinct, inseparable persons, all of which are the same substance. Each equally God, equally glorious, and equally trustworthy, and unified in everything. We saw that God is infinite and perfect in love, holiness, righteousness, wrath, mercy, beauty, and all His attributes. But the one that is especially fitting for today is truth. Truth. God never changes. Therefore, His truth is immutable and transcends time. God isn't dependent on culture, craze, counselor, or creed. Knowing God is essential to knowing truth. But how can we know God and truth without God revealing Himself to us? If God has not spoken clearly, then all we have is our own opinion. And that's dangerous. Perhaps the the million dollar question is this, how do we hear Jesus today? And that's where we're going. Most of you probably haven't heard the name Louis Klopsch. Louis Klopsch invented the Red Letter Bible in 1899. Klopsch created the Red Letter Edition as a study tool to highlight Jesus Christ as the, quote, central figure upon which all lines of law, history, poetry, and prophecy converge. And I think he desired to show the unity of the Old and New Testaments and how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of it all. Klopsch even included in red Old Testament passages that Jesus quoted or referred to directly. And even prophetic references to Christ were identified with red stars. But sometimes things created to be helpful can easily become unhelpful when they are misunderstood. Now, I'm not necessarily bashing red-letter Bibles. Don't hear that in what I'm saying. Uh, I use one, but I am critiquing a belief that many Christians hold in part because of red letter Bibles, that the words of Jesus are only in red and are therefore more important than the other black letters in Scripture. Back in 1998, the band DC Talk, some of you might be, might be familiar with them, they, they broke up, but they're all still in music, and they released their album Supernatural, which went platinum and debuted at number four on the Billboard Top 200. One of the songs was titled Red Letters. The pre-chorus builds, heed the words divinely spoken, may your restless heart be broken, let the supernatural take hold. And the song crescendos to the chorus, there is love in the red letters. There is truth in the red letters. There is hope for the hopeless, peace and forgiveness. There is life in the red letters, in the red letters. The lyrics are right. The lyrics are absolutely right. Jesus spoke the words of life. But is there love and truth and hope and peace and forgiveness in the black letters? Prior to 1899, there were no red letters. The song isn't necessarily wrong, but it implies something very dangerous. 
There's a movement called redletterchristians.org, which has strong support for some big names, including Pastor Tony Campolo. Campolo writes on the site, quote, The goal of Red Letter Christians is simple. To take Jesus seriously by endeavoring to live out his radical countercultural teachings as set forth in Scripture, and especially embracing the lifestyle prescribed in the Sermon on the Mount. He continued a little later by calling ourselves red letter Christians, we refer to the fact that in many Bibles the words of Jesus are printed in red. What we are asserting, therefore, is that we have committed ourselves first and foremost to doing what Jesus said. Now, that almost sounds right. But Jesus said more than read. The name Red Letter Christians means they're not Black Letter Christians. And the articles on the blog site uh, do nothing but affirm that. The problem is Jesus was a black-letter Jew. Red-letter thinking is common in American Christianity, and it resembles the thinking of the first-century Gnostic heretic, Marcion, who rejected the Old Testament and only accepted Luke and ten of Paul's epistles, but only after he edited them and removed all the Old Testament quotes. Attacks against the authority of the Bible are age-old. Modern red-letter philosophy also ironically appears to miss that Jesus didn't write the Gospels. Wouldn't that technically make the Gospels black letters? The Reformation Study Bible refuses to print red-letter versions. They explain, The original Greek text of the New Testament did not use red-lettering. And red lettering can sometimes unintentionally lead readers to the conclusion that Christ's words are more important or more inspired than the rest of the Bible. Touche. My friends, it's all red. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, over 3,800 times in the Old Testament alone, the writers introduced their messages with statements like, the mouth of the Lord has spoken, or the Lord says, or hear the word of the Lord. If you believe that Genesis 1-1 is Father, Spirit, Son, then you also believe Jesus said, let there be light. Why isn't Genesis 1-3 read? Before we really launch here, understand that this uh, sermon series is not primarily about homosexuality, though that is our specific application. Here's the primary issue, and it's threefold. One, who is God? Two, how God speaks truth. And three, Will we humbly receive, believe, and obey God's truth? That's that's the whole sermon series. You could fill in the blank of homosexuality with a whole host of other issues. This is just the one that I have chosen. That's the undercurrent of this series. I'm essentially addressing assumptions behind the very popular catchphrase that you might have heard before. If Jesus did not mention a subject, it cannot be essential to his teachings. I'm deeply concerned about that kind of thinking and what it implies about Jesus. So let's get started. 
How has God revealed himself to us? How has God revealed himself to us? General revelation or creation is one way. The universe is a statement made by God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge, Psalm 19, 1 and 2. But there's something else. The voice of God broke into the universe with loving truth and came directly to us. We call this special revelation. Theologian Louis Burkhoff explained why special revelation was needed. Quote, special revelation became necessary through the entrance of sin into the world. God's handwriting in nature was obscured and corrupted, and man was stricken with spiritual blindness, became subject to error and unbelief, and now in his blindness and perverseness, fails to read aright even the remaining traces of the original revelation, and is unable to understand any further revelation of God. Let's pause there. God's special revelation was needed because sin distorted our view of nature. Sin is spiritual dyslexia. It garbles up God's word. We're not getting it right. Now, Burkhoff continued, Therefore, it became necessary that God should reinterpret the truths of nature, should provide a new revelation of redemption, and should illumine the mind of man and redeem it from the power of error. Burkhoff is saying that God must redeem us from sin, thereby overriding our spiritual dyslexia and setting our understanding of truth straight. So we understand what God has communicated. God spoke through theophanies. Have you heard that term before? They're visible manifestations of himself, of God. God spoke through Christophanies or visible manifestations of the pre-incarnate, you could say pre-Christmas, Christ. God also spoke directly to people, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, judges, priests, kings, prophets, disciples, Apostles. The first five books of the Bible were written by Moses, a man that God talked to face to face. Hebrews 1 2 says, God spoke to us by his Son. And so this brings us to the doctrine of inspiration. What does it mean that the Bible is inspired by God? It means God spoke through sinful men. God spoke through sinful men. The Bible is a living and active supernatural piece of literature written beneath the editorial influence and guidance of the Trinity. Inspiration gets its meaning from texts like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For now, just see one thing in verse 16. We'll come back to these verses. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, Paul uses a a Greek word, theonoustos, which unifies two words, theos, meaning God, and nuo, meaning breeze or breath. God exhales, we get the Bible. Think of it this way. God composed every note of the beautiful melody and harmony of Scripture by exhaling through the brass and woodwind instruments of his writers. 
We call it verbal plenary inspiration, meaning all the words of the Bible in their entirety are breathed out by God. The Bible teaches this. God told Moses in Exodus 34, 27, write these words. In Numbers 33, 2, Moses wrote by command of the Lord. God commanded Isaiah, go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever, Isaiah 30, verse 8. Jeremiah 30, verses 1 and 2 say, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. In Ezekiel 24, 1 and 2, Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, write down. Habakkuk 2, 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. God spoke through prophets. In Acts 1.16, Peter said to a group of 120 disciples, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, he says, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Who spoke? The Holy Spirit spoke. How? By the mouth of David. About what? The destiny of Judas. Acts 4.24-28 also affirm that the Holy Spirit spoke through David. Listen to Jesus in Mark 12, 26. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? Jesus believes the Old Testament is a fixed source of God's truth. Jesus had a very high regard for the Old Testament scriptures. That is why he was so confident in it. John 10, 35, scripture cannot be broken. Now, how could Jesus say that? Human words can be broken, but God's words will never be broken. And Jesus was confident in that fact. In the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preached, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets, talking about the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, or you could say not a scratch, not even the little Hebrew pointing, will pass from the law until all is accomplished, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus never tore down or trivialized the Old Testament. He quoted the Old Testament to make the point that we should live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you remember that moment with Satan in the wilderness? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. He upheld it as God's word and fulfilled it. Jesus said he fulfilled it, meaning all the Old Testament points to him. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus Christ to get us to him, to prepare the way for him so we can see and hear him. Jesus said to the Jews in John 5, 46, if you believed Moses, and they were really big on Moses, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Same thing in Luke 24. 
Jesus even believed highly debated passages of the Old Testament. Robert Raymond writes this, Jesus regarded its history as unimpeachable, often choosing for his illustrations the very Old Testament events that prove least acceptable as factual history to the contemporary critical scholar such as the creation of man in the beginning by a direct act of God, the murder of Abel, Noah's flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the tragic end of Lot's wife, and the fishes swallowing Jonah. What liberalism discredits, Jesus believes. He actually believes this stuff. In the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, 26, but the helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then in John 16, 12 through 24, they're still in the upper room. Jesus told them, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What guided them into all truth? The Holy Spirit of truth. Jesus verified the inspiration, the God-breathedness of the New Testament before it was ever written. Even Paul wrote the inspired words of Jesus, and Jesus affirms that too. Who spoke with Saul on the road to Damascus? Jesus. Who showed up to Ananias in the vision and told him to go to Saul and heal him and relay a message? Jesus. What did Jesus tell Ananias? Acts 9.15, Jesus said, Go... For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus commissioned Paul to preach and write his word. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. All of the New Testament is read. Jesus inspired the Bible. Look at Revelation 1, 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus disclosed his message to John. Verse 1 continues, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. God gave the revelation to Jesus, who gave it to John, who gave it to the churches. John goes on, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Jesus communicates through John. Revelation is the message of Jesus. John later says he was in the Spirit, and Jesus told him to write what he saw in a book and send it to the seven churches. That's sending it with Jesus' authority, the source of truth, out to the seven churches. 
And then John keeps repeating this line throughout Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What Spirit speaks? The Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of truth speaks through John to the churches. Are you beginning to understand what it means to say that God breathed out or God inspired the Scripture, the Bible? Here's another angle at it. In 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter recognized Paul's writings as Scripture. In 1 Timothy 5, 18, Paul quoted both Moses and Luke. Surprisingly, Luke. And this is what he says. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 25, 4. And then he adds, and, another quote, the laborer deserves his wages. That's a quote from Luke 10, 7. Paul accepted Luke's gospel as inspired scripture. And we're only beginning to make the case for, for the inspiration of the Bible. There is so much more to be said. I'm only just dabbling in it to try to get the main point across. This goes deep. The fact that God, Jesus, Father, Jesus, Spirit stand behind the Scripture. That's why it's authoritative. So the most important thing to hear in all of this, because that's a lot of Scripture to bite off and chew. I understand that. But I'm doing that for a reason. The important thing to hear in all of this is that Jesus is behind every word of the Bible. It's all about Him, and it's all from Him. Every letter of the Bible is read. Now apply this to homosexuality. The view of Jesus is contained in more than red letters. That's going to be extremely important to understand in, in the case that I'm building. You need to start at Genesis and conclude in Revelation and only then will you truly have heard Jesus' view on homosexuality. So then the last question should be really easy to answer. How do we hear the voice of Jesus today? Jesus speaks to us through every letter of the Bible. Jesus has made his view clear. Even if God audibly spoke to you, there are people who believe that he did. Even if God audibly spoke to you, in order for you to discern whether it indeed was God would be through what God has already said in the Bible. Otherwise, you may mistake Satan's voice for God's voice. How many times has I got a direct revelation from God end in someone dying? It's happened a lot of times before with these wild thoughts. How do you discern then if God is speaking audibly to you that it is God and not Satan? And the only possible way to make sense of any audible voice is to filter it through what God has already said in His Holy Word. Across a span of about 2,000 years, maybe about 40, around 40 authors that all are saying the same thing to lead to Jesus Christ. So anything that we hear would have to always be filtered through God's standard of truth, which means one thing. The ultimate authority is Scripture, not any audible voice you hear. 
You hear Jesus when you study the Bible. And the Holy Spirit helps you understand and apply it. But there are a few more texts that that really bring this home that I want you to see. Let's return to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Again, Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God. Paul is primarily referring to the Old Testament, but also to the New Testament, or at least the completed parts of uh, of the New Testament. And Paul says it's all inspired by God. God is the professor, the Bible is the lecture, we are the students, and the Holy Spirit is our comprehension. This is why we call the Bible the Word of God. God exhaled the Bible, and Paul lists four ways it profits us. Number one, it teaches us what to believe. The Bible is our doctrine. Number two, it reproves us. The Bible exposes our erroneous thinking and logic, and it tells us where we're wrong. But it doesn't just beat you down, because you're like, man, it's telling me I'm wrong at this point. It does do that, but it doesn't just beat you down. Number three, it corrects us. It builds us back up with truth, replacing our wrong thinking with right thinking. Lastly, number four, it trains us in righteousness, It disciplines and instructs us in right behavior. Now, why would God do that through his word? Verse 17, that the man of God may be competent. That's a great word. I want to be competent in life. How many of you are like, I totally, in all things, want to be completely incompetent? I don't want to be able to do anything right. Show of hands, I'm glad, you must be like me, I want to be described as a competent man, and he says equipped for every good work. God wants us to be fully ready for righteousness, fully ready, prepared, on edge, ready to go for righteousness. Have you ever been ill-equipped for something, and yet you still had to do that something? It might have been an exam. And you walk in there, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Stress, the heat. Have you ever gotten that? Oh, man. I, don't, I used to take some exams so you can see what I'm doing. I'd look at the first page. You know, I kept paging. Some were long. I didn't know the first or the last. I'm looking for anything that makes sense. Now I lost my place. All right. It's horrible. That's the point. It's horrible. But competence makes for good work, makes for really good work when you're competent. God uses the Bible to prepare us morally for every good work. Many professing Christians are spiritually anemic. They're weak. They're totally weak and susceptible to theological disease because they don't know their Bibles. And they treat its authority in their lives lightly. When you're untrained, it's hard to think and live biblically. This is why we must hear from Jesus on the topic of homosexuality so we think and live like Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to this one, 2 Peter, almost at the end. So you want to go to the back, turn in your Bibles. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Now these verses are very helpful in understanding the inspiration of Scripture. 
2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Peter writes this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now what is Peter talking about? The transfiguration of Jesus. Peter, James, and John were all there. Jesus became transfigured. Very interesting moment of history. Read about it in Matthew 17. Peter is talking about hearing God's voice directly from heaven. Now listen to what Peter says in verse 19. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this. First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Why is the Bible reliable? Here's why. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not just a a compilation of a bunch of human opinions or what people just wanted to hear themselves say. It's the opinion of the Trinity. Listen to Paul's confidence as he spoke to Christians in the city of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what is really is the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Is Paul arrogant to say that? How can you say that, Paul? You, a sinner, Speaking the very words of God? Who gave you that authority, Paul? Paul's not arrogant. Remember, Jesus Christ commissioned Paul for his preaching and ministry. Jesus is behind Paul's words. To attack or to diminish Paul's epistles is to attack or diminish the teaching of Jesus. Every word of Paul's letters is Read several more short verses, 1 Corinthians 2.13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is such a dynamic verse. You have to understand what it's saying. Two things. One, Paul's words were taught by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Do you understand the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of the Father and the Son? That's the Holy Spirit of Jesus, taught by Jesus. And number two, 
Those who truly understand the interpretation of truth, those who really get it, those who see, those who are like, aha, I understand what that's trying to say. Those people are those who are spiritual. In other words, those who are saved by Jesus. Understand the connection, my friends. Don't expect the world to understand truth until they receive the Holy Spirit of truth. Everything will be a blur. Creation will be a blur, and you'll come up with something called evolution. God's word will be a blur, won't make sense. Issues like homosexuality, abortion, um, all kinds of other things will just be a blur. They won't understand because they're not spiritual. Jesus hasn't changed their hearts. They don't have the eyes to see. They have eyes, they do see, but they don't have the spiritual eyes to see. They have ears, they can hear, but they don't have the spiritual ears to hear. Jesus had to open their mind to comprehend the scriptures. The world will not understand these issues as God has spoken it because they are not spiritual. They're not saved. They don't have the Holy Spirit of truth. So how can they discern? The fact is they don't. They make a mockery of all of these issues. They completely go into weird areas where you're like, honestly, that's where you're going to go, culture? Pick an issue. I mean, God is not important in America, largely. 2 Corinthians 2, 17, for we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. When they spoke, they were commissioned by God, and when they spoke, they were in Christ when they spoke. Jesus communicating. Two more, not in your notes. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth. You add it all up and what do you get? Truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. How do we hear the voice of Jesus today? I'm very interested in that because I want to hear Jesus All of history hinges on Jesus. So I just want to hear him speak. How do we do that? It's simple. Read the Bible. Jesus speaks through every letter. My friends, my friends, listen. Every letter of the Bible is read. This is why Jerusalem Church stands on the inerrancy, infallibility, and authority of the Bible because we believe that God actually inspired it. This church has nothing to do with what Jonathan has to say. I don't care what I have to say, and you shouldn't either. But as much as I preach God's word and as much as I reflect his truth accurately, I am being used as the mouthpiece of God to you to preach his inspired word. And the moment I veer off and I say something that you're like, huh? which I will, you say, I don't think that moment was an inspired moment because that's not lining up with God's scripture. The test you have in your hands. It's not me. It's not the church. It's not history. It's God speaking through his word. We believe that firmly at Jerusalem because God inspired it. We believe that though human authors pen the words, God wrote it. 
We believe that the word of God is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We actually believe that. Now I want to connect all this with last week. If God is unchangeable in all his attributes, then his word to us will also be unchangeably consistent with all of his attributes. Does that make sense? If God is truth, then God's word is truth. If God is merciful, then what God says is merciful. If God is loving, then everything that God speaks, Old Testament and new, is loving. If God is wrathful, then his words, when we read it and and give it a fair shake, we should hear in those words incredible wrath and fury. Whatever God is, his word is consistent with his character. God cannot be disconnected from his word. Rejecting God's word is a rejection of God. So your approach to God's word reflects what you actually believe about God. Jesus said, if you love me, if that love is in your heart for Jesus, if it's really there, he says, you will keep my commandments. Where do you get his commandments? I haven't had lunch with Jesus in the flesh. He's not here. He's at the right hand of God. His presence is here. His spirit is here. But in the flesh, I haven't hugged him. I haven't talked with him. I've prayed to him, so I've talked to him. So hopefully you know where I'm going with this. All right? Where do you get his commandments? Do you know what Peter said in John 6, 68 and 69? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you, you are the Holy One of God. In other words, Jesus is the source of truth. Now, we all have a decision to make. It's a hard decision, but you must make it, and you already have made it. But I just want to just put a little test out there to make sure you've made the right decision. Here, here it is. What authoritative voice will determine your view on homosexuality? What do you deem when approaching the topic of homosexuality as your standard or foundation of truth upon which you build your position? You all have a position. The culture has a position. Everyone on planet Earth has a position about this issue. The question is, what's the authority? What's your source? How are you arriving at your position? You need to be honest about that. Don't pull punches. Just go right at it. What is your authority? And if you listen closely, most people determine their view of homosexuality by personal feeling and experience. You hear it all the time. Personal experience and feeling. Sometimes they use tradition Sometimes you'll hear controversial science brought in, but mostly feeling and experience. For many on both sides of this issue, understand this, both sides of the issue, the Bible is largely irrelevant when it comes to homosexuality. There are Christians, professing Christians, and I I would guess non-Christians, not identifying with God's Word, who are against homosexuality. But the reasoning 
will not come from the authoritative scriptures. It might come from tradition, it might come from what their family believed. So on both sides of the issue, whether you're for homosexuality or whether you're against homosexuality, I think what you will find is that so many people just completely disregard the scripture. It's irrelevant. It's based on feeling and experience. Now, you believe what you do about homosexuality because, because some authoritative source is speaking into your life. And you need to be honest about what that source is. If you're a true follower of Jesus, then what the Bible has to say will be of greatest importance to you. If you love Jesus, the Bible would be like, whoosh, right to the top. That's where I'm going. Just want to understand it. Don't want to see it in a confused way. Just want Jesus to help me see what he actually says. You will be determined as a Christian to understand what God thinks and then you'll get on that train and never get off. If you don't care about what Jesus said, it's on you to prove why your opinion trumps Jesus. Because that's what you have to do. You become the authority. If you're like, Jesus, no, don't care. Then now you have to prove why your opinion or any other authoritative source that you're using is more important than Jesus himself. I think you could test, um, find thousands of test cases for this, but whenever people compromise or dismiss the inspiration and authority of the Bible, it inevitably ends in justification and celebration of sin. Atheism and liberalism are similar. They often appear intellectual, but perhaps are more about libertinism. If there is no God, or if God's word is unreliable, then we can do and believe and act any way we want. We don't have to be accountable to God. There is no judgment. We'll just argue it away by saying there's no God or that his word doesn't matter. Instead of denying God outright, liberalism seeks to reinterpret scripture or just renovate old heresies to muddy the water, allowing more room for sin. Make sure you don't fall prey to limited red-letter Christianity. Be a full-blown red-letter Christian in all that that means because every letter of the Bible is red. Now, you might be interested to know that next week we'll tackle healthy marriage and sex according to the Bible. So I can pretty much guarantee it's going to be fun next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you to speak into our lives. And if not through your holy word that you spoke through your prophets, through your son, through your apostles, if not from the Bible, where do we hear you, God? If you take the Bible away, we are left to our own, to ourselves. God, we'll never understand these things if you don't show up and if you don't give us truth. You have spoken. That's the reality. And so, God, I pray with every fiber of our being, we will pour ourselves over the Scripture, asking for the Holy Spirit of truth to help us understand what Jesus' view is on homosexuality and every other view of everything else. God, just root us in the truth. May our foundation, may our poured footer 
be the inspired word of God. I pray that you will do a a work of truth and grace in our midst here at Jerusalem Church, that we will become Bible people like never before. Not worshiping the Bible. The Bible is not our God. You are our God. But you communicate to us, and your word is important, and your word is from you, and your word cannot be detached from you. So God, I pray that as we approach the Lord's supper together, that we will remember what Jesus spoke. All of the Old Testament led up to the wonderful pinnacle of the cross of Jesus Christ, who poured out his blood for us, for everyone who would turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And I pray that with great joy, with great confidence, we approach the table. In Christ's name we pray, amen.